Hello, welcome to another episode of Lie, Cheat, and Steal, a podcast about liars, frauds, thieves, and bullshitters. I'm your host, Pat Royce. With me in studio, as or, as always, I'm with me in studio today, a special treat, Kath Barbadoro. Hi. Hey. Yeah, we're actually in the same place. In the same room. The, it's yeah. been so long. Yeah, this has not happened in a very long time. Yeah, the last time I was in town, I don't think I, we recorded together the last time I was in town because I wasn't here long enough. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's Before probably that, been it was, like it was a year back and a half. We were, yeah, we were at the, um, the uh, finished product. What's the... Uh, Permanent record. Yes. Permanent record. You're like, yeah. finished product? Finish. What? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, shout out to permanent record. You guys were a great home for us for a while there. Lovely, uh, lovely. Yeah, you made we a huge them, impression. But... I can't. <laughs> but yeah, now we're now we're in uh, in Pat's girlfriend's house with yep. two very cute dogs. Very cute boys. Very... And uh, I won't have to line up audio tracks. And I yeah. can't tell you how excited I am. <laughs> yeah. As excited as I am to see you, Pat, I am yeah. as excited to not have to edit this well, episode. You, you are much. very welcome. And I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad I can provide that level of comfort for you. <laughs> um, yeah, man, this is... Uh... This is cool. This is where I've been recording at the, the most of the time that we've been doing it lately. Mm-hmm. But this is cool. We got the the mics that are in our hands now, and that feels cool. I don't have to. I don't know. None of y'all you can, can see this. Who, I don't know who I'm explaining this to. It's you, you can tell uh, the energy because we're stand up, so it's gonna yeah. like help that we're holding. Yeah, microphones. yeah, yeah. You guys heard about this? You guys heard about <laughs> it? Man, I um, yeah, I just got off the road. You guys are probably hear my voice. My voice is a little tired. Yeah, uh, this is our. We're recording one of of two episodes tonight. Hopefully, this episode and the next episode, Pat will have a voice. But yeah, hopefully, yeah. I I had it back. I got back. Um, I did like I was I did like twenty hours of stand up in a month, and then like. My, I, towards the end of it, I heard my voice like kind of slipping, and I was like, "Oh shit!" Because I was doing full hours every night. And it's like, right? Yeah, it, was, it really does make a huge really difference. Really does. And I'm yeah. like, a, I'm like a boisterous ass kind of dude Absolutely. on stage. <laughs> yeah. And so like, I was like, "Oh man," so I uh, I felt it like slipping during the last performance, and then I got back to Austin, and I had a Vanilla Presley show, which we haven't done a show in like a year and a half, mm. or like like a year and a couple months. And so instead of taking my voice easy, instead I just drank whiskey and smoked cigarettes all day with Jake Rowe and yelled rap lyrics <laughs> for an entire day. So I woke up that mo- that morning of the Vanilla Presley show and I literally could not make a sound. Like oh it, it was like, like that. And so I just drank like lemon water and honey all day. And yep. then I had... You pulled a goop. You I put, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then like, well, what's funny is I, I used to be a, sc- a screamer in a metal band when I was like in like my late 18s, early 20s. And I remember like... You can get your voice to where it'll work for one performance, but it's like a deal with the devil because it's like, yo, your shit's gonna be it's gone. Fucked. Yeah, yep. yeah, you're, you're not gonna have a voice for like two days, and so there, here we are. Yeah, here we are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I have a show tonight, and two shows Friday, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> well, I think this is a perfect uh, episode to do with someone who doesn't have a voice. Oh yes, considering wow. did not even think that. Yeah, today we are talking about. Millie Vanilli. Yeah. This was on Famous people without voices. Yeah. (laughs) This was on the, uh, I've mentioned this a few times, the fabled, um, the fabled uh, notebook piece of paper where I, when I can't have the idea for Lie, Cheat, and Steal, I wrote every show idea I could think. Oh, nice. And Millie Vanilli was on that piece of paper. It's somewhere. It's somewhere in my shit. An artifact. Yeah, an artifact. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that we will sell for hundreds of thousands of dollars one day. (laughs) But this came back into my consciousness. I was on tour. I was touring with a guy named Josh Palladini, who was hosting for us from New York. And Josh is one of those guys who's just like insanely talented uh, musician and comedian and also just knows everything about every piece of rock trivia. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was like towards the end of the tour, we were 
uh, after a show one night hanging outside the hotel room and he started talking to me. He's like, you know what you could do? He started talking about the, all the parts of Millie Vanilli that I didn't know about. Um, more specifically, their producer, Frank Farian. And we're okay. going to get into him. And like, yeah, I just thought, I was like, oh, it's just guys, they made this shit up. And like, there's a lot more to it. So, all right. Yeah. So, I'm excited. I remember I've seen the Millie Vanilli behind the music. I definitely yeah. saw that back in the day. I, but, I, watched, uh, I, I binged that. Today. I, I watched that. I definitely soaked in a bunch of Millie Vanilli. Nice. Uh, a pop culture today. <laughs> so, yeah, but it was it was ages ago. So I don't yeah. know uh, what. Uh, yeah, I've, was, I've forgotten most of it. So I'm yeah, excited yeah, to yeah. Hear well, this. That's, that's what we that's what we bank on is just stuff that everybody <laughs> knew about that we hope they forgot and then we get paid to talk right. about it again. Exactly. So, of course, uh, we're talking today about Frank Farian and Millie Vanilli. Now, Millie Vanilli was a <laughs> – there's several different definitions of what genre of music they are. Uh, there's Euro dance. The one that I found that was funny is he was Euro-Caribbean. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Euro- I guess technically, sure. Yeah. They were a Euro-Caribbean pop duo formed in 1988 in Munich, Germany. Uh, where you, it's where you go for good Caribbean music. Yeah, exactly. Now, yeah. Known for their island vibes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I used to work with this uh, uh, Samoan woman who was part of an island dance crew and they would come into our pawn shop and do like cool little presentations and one time this obnoxious lady was like oh I also am from island culture I am English (laughs) get out of here get out of the pawn shop lady (laughs) so yeah, Millie Vanilli, they formed in 1988 in Munich, Germany. Now, for a period of time, the late 80s and very early 90s, the duo were possibly the most famous, if not definitely the most recognizable people on the planet. Yeah. They were just, they were all over the place. Their style was just like, they were, they were like, just of the style, right look, right, just write everything at the right time, um, supposedly the right sound. <laughs> but, <laughs> so, now the duo is comprised of, Caprice comprised of <laughs> Fabrice Morgan. You see why I made that mistake? Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> it's comprised of Fabrice Morgan. No, <laughs> it's Fabrice Morgan and Rob Pilatus. Now, the duo were dancers who met in the club music scene in Munich and bonded, as they said, over being black Europeans from largely non-black cities. Yeah. I guess Paris, there are cities with larger black populations in Europe. Paris and Munich, not them. <laughs> so Yeah, especially, I mean, I think Paris is now, but uh, yeah. not, it, don't meet a lot of black German guys. No, you don't. What's funny <laughs> is I lived in Germany. And I had the story, I, I told it on stage a couple of times, but my mom, uh, so my dad spoke pretty good German, but nobody in my family really spoke any, like, passing German and we would go on trips like like little day trips out to like downtown Frankfurt or whatever you know you, you get stuck in some places like you can get around a little bit but sometimes you just need somebody who speaks English that can explain to you like the complexities of the train schedule sure yeah yeah, yeah. and so my mom so she would be out there we just see like you know whenever she saw a black German person she was just like oh thank god hey where's the train station <laughs> they were like oh those frequency English and my mom would look at them like okay <laughs> I mean my sister like mom just cause they're black. Doesn't mean they know English. She's like, oh, they know a little. They're just, they don't want to tell me. <laughs> just, the, just the worst American traveler. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I let them see my mom, like, like uh, try to apply, like, American, like, consumer culture to, like, like we got to, we got to eat at a German restaurant and the food would be taking a long time. And my mom would be like, excuse me, those people got here after us and they got it. And then they would just be, like, like literally, like, kind of confused. Like, what, you're here to, like, eat dinner with your family, right? Like, right. Yeah, have fun, like like what do you what do you you what could you, you could talk to your family yeah, while you yeah, wait. Yeah. Maybe my mom was like, we will have none of that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So they were they were uh, they were two black Europeans from largely non-black cities. So the third or perhaps the foremost personality of Billy Vanilli that nobody ever actually hears about is their producer Frank Farian. Okay. 
So it was Ferry. And, and now when, when, I, when you say, oh, what was his involvement in it? He's the voice. Oh, he is the voice. The, he Mil- is the actual he, he is voice coming out of yes. Millie Vanilli. Yeah, okay. yeah. That they have a few session musicians uh, doing doing like some backup vocals, but sure, he's who you hear. So he's that's interesting because he did the voices for both of them because there's two guys. Yeah, and we'll get into that because okay. this wasn't the first time he did this with the project. Okay. And, um, and and he he definitely he has a wide range. I mean, the dude's a good performer. He's a he's a very talented. Those vocalist. songs are are real catchy. Yeah, it yeah. is it is funny to think about though because it's like I'm just imagining. The the like PR package for Millie Vanilli. It's like these two ripped German Caribbean <laughs> dudes who meet and are both like, "Dude, you can sing. Yeah, I can yeah. sing." Like, who, what a w- weird world that would be if yeah. this were an actual story. Just like, oh, uh, I met like a hot model guy that looks just like me, and we both yeah. sing. And we right. both just sing and dance. Yeah. <laughs> And they had like the one move that you see in everything where they run across the stage and just jump and chest bump. Amazing. <laughs> that, that was their, their big so move. So good. Yeah. So uh, now um, Farian actually spotted Fab and Rob. Now, they're, yeah, F- uh, Fabricio and Robert, uh, everybody calls them Fab and Rob. Fab and Rob. And when you talk to fans, that's they know it's Fab, Fab and Rob, and Rob. Rob and Fab. Okay. So they spotted them dancing at a music club and decided they'd make the perfect face for a band. Now, to be clear, Fabian did not need to be uh, to be part of the band. Uh, I'm sorry, did not need the pair to be the band, simply to be the face of it. Mm-hmm. So the story of Millie Vanilli is really the story of Frank Farian. I mean, mm-hmm. not, not just the story, but it, it's a big part of it, specifically his backstory. So Frank was a talented German record producer and singer and performer who, in addition to having an incredible voice and an almost clairvoyant ear for success, also had a shrewd mind for the business. Now, as early as the 1970s, he understood that the music industry was becoming less about the sound and more about the looks. Sure. And he saw this, and he also had no, like, he was that, he had no pretense with his own looks and appearance. Like, he was like, yeah, I don't need to be in this, especially yeah. the kind of music I'm making. Which, so he, like, I you gotta admire somebody like that, who, yeah. like, who doesn't need the sort of, like, fame of, or the spotlight. And you don't see that. Like, I remember, like, we we sung, we I, I, in the early days of the podcast, we talked about our producers who, like, we just wanted to produce podcasts. Yeah. And they were just like, you know, hey, we don't want to actually be in, on stage or do anything. And, like, you you meet so few people like that in entertainment that yeah. when you meet somebody that's like, no, I just want to do the behind-the-scenes stuff, and they're good at it. Worth their like, weight in gold. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can't you so value those people if, enough. If you're like uh listening to this and you're sort of interested in getting into that, like into like production in comedy or in entertainment, like do it, you will not have a problem. Yeah. Like the only problem will be finding people who are like good enough that you don't like get annoyed that you're doing work for them. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, it's yeah. not like your work is never going to be the problem. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, like yeah, do sure. it. Definitely. Please. Yeah. We need you. <laughs> We're all thing. attention hogs. Like yeah. we can't do shit. Yeah. You never be anybody that's like, no, no, I'll, I'll, I'll fall back. Oh, we had a show at spider house again. We had a vanilla Presley show. And, um, if you're listening in the Austin area, uh, Dan Richardson that works at Spider House is probably the best sound guy Man. in the city. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it was so good to work with him again. He said all he's been doing pretty much, we were the first musical act he's done in over a year because it's just been comedy. Mm-hmm. And so he was very excited. But yeah, that's a, that's a perfect example of a guy who's just behind the scenes and the scene is better because of it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Please, please get into this if you are yeah, a person yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, we yeah. like desperately need you. Yeah, if you're talented and shy, we need your help because we have so many people <laughs> who are who are untalented and not shy Exactly. At all. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. So... Frank Farian's first brush with musical success actually came with his disco reggae group, Boney M. Oh, yeah, I 
yeah. Boney M is Rasputin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ra Ra Rasputin, Russia's yeah. greatest love machine. Yeah. Okay. That I didn't was, know that was him. Yeah, that was what inspired this whole thing. I was outside of the hotel room and I was talking about um last podcast on the left, Rasputin's series. Mm-hmm. And then like it was like quiet, and the guy Josh Paladini was like, rah, rah, Rasputin. <laughs> like, have you heard that song? And I was like, I actually have. And like, and that's what launched our whole discussion that's about so funny. Frank Ferry and Millie Vanelli. Yeah, no, I had no idea. So yeah, we were uh so he goes, uh, he had their first song, it's called Baby Do You Want a Bump, which is so hilarious. Oh, wow. <laughs> that is so late 80s. Is Was Baby Do You Want a Bump the Millie Vanilli or the Boney M? This, this was Boney M. And this okay, was, that was, this was Boney This M. was early, late 70s. Okay. And it was like, um, but it was like. Uh, yeah, things? it's a Coke song. Yeah, it's a Coke song. Yeah, <laughs> like maybe, like, like, no, do you want to do the dance of the bump? No, it's do you want a bump? <laughs> yeah. Oh, also, everything in this dude's entire music catalog is just like surging on cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> All of them. So, yeah, the first hit, Baby, Do You Want a Bump? Uh, now, this song includes a deep, bassy verse and a high falsetto chorus, both of which were sung by Frank. Because uh, he's all over the place. Frank's vocal range was so impressive that no one suspected a thing when he employed a group of singers to be the face of the supposed the supposed voice of Boney M. Uh, this group included Bobby Farrell, who would go on to sing the classic Don't Worry, Be Happy. Okay. He was in that group. And actually singing yeah, that actually, time. Yeah. Not in Boney M. Yeah, 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 yeah. He would go on to sing, really sing in Boney M, but... Uh, no, it was a, in a, with a group of attractive young singers, Frank's great vocals, and the exploding market for music on television, uh, Boney M experienced an incredibly successful run. So, the, and it's important to note that Frank Ferry, what he did was by no means groundbreaking. Like, for years, the record industry had substituted faces for vocal tracks laid by more talented singers. It had been happening. It tended to happen, however, with disco and dance music, where it was kind of a given that dance records were, were more heavily produced and had a greater focus on the finished product right. and not the creative process. Right. So, and, and you weren't going to see like a, a disco like performance the way you would like a rock band. So exactly. it doesn't matter. Like you wanted the virtuoso on guitar and stuff. Right. And so you was, just put like a picture of like a pretty person on the cover and that's yeah. kind of that. And it was done. almost like that was like, although like nobody was like mad about it, but it was like that reality of the genre um, and the fact that people really weren't celebrating like the artists like that. They kind of like, you want background noise. You want something. It's like yeah. why you don't dance to Eminem. Like, you know, like, right, like, right. You, you buy an Eminem song, you listen to it once and go, oh, that's a really cool verse. And then you never, you never <laughs> listen to it again. Yeah. Because that's what it's made for. Right. <laughs> it's made for you to go, oh, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're never done. in a bar and be like, man, I wish they'd play a deeply dense, complexly lyrical song right now. No, you just want something. Sung, good. By, sung by a guy with like one of the most annoying yeah, voices. Yeah. <laughs> like, incredible yeah. obviously like incredibly gifted rapper yeah. just in the most like nasal like awful i'm a lifelong of an fan but i'm completely open to be like, yeah that guy's his criticisms are many and valid oh I, no i completely get it like i one of my favorite bands is the mountain goats which is like it's obvious it's as far as you can get from eminem genre wise but it's a a guy with a really nasal voice who writes yeah. great songs yeah and yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah you know very uh, unpleasant, but you're like, oh, wow. I love to uh, annoy annoy my girlfriend, Cindy, by calling John Prine the Eminem of country music. <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> but he really is. He's such he a is. gifted wordsmith, yeah. <laughs> so uh, also we were on we were on tour, and uh, the guys I was touring with were big rock music fans. And I'm more of a hip-hop head. I can appreciate rock music. But like, like if you want to get like a dense, deep discussion, it, you know, I, 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 I can do that with rap. Sure. And so we got to this uh, the venue in Missouri, and there was like a local, like, like, Look like a bunch of retired people that get together and play acoustic guitars in coffee shops and yep. brewers. And they were like having their little weekly meeting while we were setting up. And uh, they were playing John Prine songs, which I just happen to know like a lot of them and know of all the words. And the guys I was touring with were like, 
you know all the words to these songs. I was like, yes, yes, I do. Yeah, man. You just like good lyrics. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, matter a, if it's rap, if it's sung. Head. Yeah. I, I can honestly give a shit about the music. It's, oh, no, I, I like it, but I'm definitely like, lyrics are kind of what, 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 so what can yeah, catch me in. Eminem and John Prine. Yeah, John Prine. The, the collab win. <laughs> so I don't know. But... So, but yeah, like, I think that the, their very nature of this music is what kept this secret from really like not blowing up or, or anything, but just from mattering much. Right. It's, it's, it's they didn't. It seems like at the beginning, it's not like they worked especially hard to conceal this. Yeah, exactly. Because exactly. it was just kind of how it often works. Yeah, and very little of those bands were driven by like a single personality the way that breakout pop stars are. Right. Like you know, like Justin Timberlake or Britney Spears or even In Sync or whatever. Like. You know, Lizzo, Meg Thee Stallion, those are all driven by, like, the char- the charisma of the, the upfront star. Right. And that really hadn't happened yet in dance like that. And so it was almost like they were banking on, you know, like, especially Frank Farian, on, you know, maybe these guys not becoming breakout, uh, like, hits with the fans because yeah. of their personality and not maybe, like, drawing so much attention like, it wasn't like they were going to win Best New Artist at the Grammys or anything. <laughs> and I think that was what he had a lot of... Uh, a lot of money riding on. So basically, uh, music producer Frank Ferry had met these guys and he invited them to his Frankfurt studio to listen to a demo. As they say it, they said, we got a call to come to his studio. And they were like, yo, that, all right, that's it. Now at the time, uh, Fab and Rob were living in a Munich housing project. They were flat fucking broke. No money. They said they were stealing food at the time. So they were just like in a bad place and they were pursuing entertainment. We've all been there. Absolutely. <laughs> We're walking out of an AGB one time on a similar run and seeing a very established comedian and his wife in the produce section. They're like, hey, Pat. I just said, hey, and just walked right out the door. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. Talk to you later. Bye. Can't stop now. What's that beeping? I don't know. Just out of the store. Anyway, so, yeah. Uh, so he invited them over. And they were like, they were like, yo, this is it. And as, uh, as Rob had said, he goes, you know, we were just dumb little kids. So we said, let's go. And we got to the studio. Girl, you know it's true. It was just a demo. And he asked us our opinion and if we could sing on it. We said, yeah, we could sing. And he said, okay, beautiful. I believe it. But we have shows to do, so don't worry. We'll, we'll work on that next week. Mm. Already, yeah. And he said, in the meantime, I'm going to make you guys millionaires. Or as he says in his broken English, I'll make you millionaire. <laughs> That's going to come to think. These, all these guys also spoke little to no English. And it was very heavily accented. Um Fab is from is French and Rob is German, mm-hmm. and their English is really bad. And that was actually what tipped off people at first about like, how are they singing this song? Yeah, because they can barely speak English. Right? Like, did <laughs> yeah. someone teach them this song phonetically, or yeah, like, how did yeah, this work? Yeah. yeah. So Fabian signed the, the duo to a contract on January first, nineteen eighty-eight. It was obligating him to ten songs a year, but the group's singing in the recording studio didn't impress Fabian or Farian. He said, these guys came to the studio, they recorded, but they didn't have enough quality. So the final mix of Girl, You Know It's True was finished by studio performers, including Charles Shaw, John Davis, Brad Howell, Jody Rocco, and Linda Rocco. Those are the background band vocals, guys. So Farian gave the name of the project Millie Vanilli, with Millie taken from the nickname of Farian's then-girlfriend, Ingrid Seagith. I don't know where they got Millie out of that. And Vanilli added to sound like the British band Scritty Politti. Okay. So yeah, I'm not familiar with Scritty Politti, but that, that's Scritty Politti is why Millie Vanilli is called Millie Vanilli. <laughs> so that's why you guys come here to learn that kind of information. <laughs> so by May, uh, Pilatus and, and Morvan were touring Spain, France, and Italy, lip syncing to the pre-recorded tracks and thrilling crowds of their distinct style. Spandex shorts, 
thigh-high boots, cornrow hair extensions. Uh, according to Pilatus, we would ask Frank, hey, when are we going to be allowed to uh, have some artistic input? And he would just say, yeah, 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 not right now. You need to go out and do promotion. I mean, of course you'll get to do it. Right. So this but is first you a- need to dance. <laughs> yeah, this is a sad element of it is that they really – we're looking forward to like giving like their their artistic input. Yeah, they really wanted to be like they, real musicians. They it's so sad. Yeah, it it is kind of sad because you you get the story of like I mean I always heard it as a kid was just like oh these dudes just weren't singing and they're faking it. Right. It like, no. The joke is they're sort of like these airhead hunks. Yeah. And it's like no, they actually yeah, wanted yeah, to they, be yeah, musicians. Yeah, they had heart, man. They had heart, dude. <laughs> they, yeah, they wanted to be musicians and like you know they had a story to tell. But I do think that this is something that's going to get revisited. And I mean, who knows if we kick it off. But I think the way that we're revisiting kind of the way we treated pop stars fall from grace. Yeah. uh, Falls from grace that we've been doing last year. I think they're going to eventually get their due because it was really unfair. Like, I'm not saying Frank Ferry is a horrible fucking person, but like. He definitely did pluck these kids from obscurity and just kind of sell them a dream right. and use them to peddle his thing. And they were broke. Like you said, yeah. they lived in a housing project. Like they were not, it's, this was like the chance. And then yeah. you exploit them. The It's kind of the same way, like what they did to like Motown singers and stuff. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause isn't, isn't this guy white? Yes. Varian? Yes. He is, yeah. yeah. And so it was like, like taking these two young black kids yeah. and being like, dance monkey. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm, not... just, I'm just gonna implant I'm gonna implant my my like my image over you and just make you be the vehicle for it. Right. And it's kind of funny, people be like, oh well, they can't sing. It's like, yeah, well, Frank Farian's ugly, so fucking checkmate. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I do think there's like a little bit more appreciation now for like performance in this kind of stuff too, where yeah. it's like yeah, you know, maybe they weren't talented musicians, but like they put on a show. Like yeah. they were they were performing, they had charisma. Like yeah. they they did contribute something very, very important. Much. To well, this. yeah, well you see that was like the thing. That was what sold them on their fans was cuz fans resonated with them. They were real yeah. people. They were like, you know, I think fans like have like like audiences can sense when someone has just been like plucked from the same situation they're in and now they're in the situation like yeah. that realness like resonates with fans in a way that you can't replicate. Right. And it's interesting because like the whole sort of joke with them is that they're fake and manufactured and stuff. But it's like, yeah, but they were like real people from real circumstances. Yeah. And yeah, that, yeah. Like, yeah, the, the fact that they did have that realness actually yep. kind of helped. Yeah, it did. And they, were, and they were like one of those, again, with that thing that you see in like artists where they're just like, they're so happy to be there. And yeah. it was, it's like maybe people loved Chris Farley or whatever. Just people who are like, right. they're so happy to just be in this situation. And it just, it just bleeds through everything they do. All Absolutely. their performances. Yeah. Every time they're on the stage, you can tell they're just happy to be there. Mm-hmm. And again, that's something that audiences take to that you Absolutely. can't replicate. You yep. can't manufacture that. So, um, as they were, you know, as they were touring, um, the, you know, they were asked, you know, can they have more input? They were told no. And they said that, that that's how he strung them along. And that's why they kept going along with things. Mm-hmm. Now, after Girl, You Know It's True, also a funny fact, Girl, You Know It's True was stolen. Uh, we're talking about, you know, we're talking about lying, cheating and stealing here. Girl, You Know It's True was stolen from a band uh, called the New Marks, a Baltimore based band called New Marks, who had that song. And Frankie Farian stole that. Really? He didn't even write it? Uh, he stole. I, I think he wrote like the. He stole the concept. I don't know. It just. It just said like it's quotes where he's just like, yeah, I heard that song and I. I just brought it over here. Oh And wow. they said like even Fab and Rob were like, yeah, we knew the song because we'd been singing to the New Marks version already. Oh, okay. So or, you know, or singing like in their apartment or whatever. Right. So. Um, yeah, so after Girl You Know It's True took off in Germany in 1988, Farian produced and wrote most of the, uh, the material on the album All or Nothing, which was released in Europe in November of 1988. 
After Frank released the album, he told us that it was too late to stop now, Polita said, because the single was such a big success. He said, now you have to go through it. I'll cover you guys. Nobody will find out. And he would say, here, I'll give you $20 or 20000 in advance money. And we never had a hit before, so we just went along with it. Sure. Get yeah. $20,000. All right. Yeah, man, there's not much that if you give me twenty grand, i will be like, okay. Right. <laughs> I oh, I get to dance and like women like throw their underwear at yeah. me and like, okay, sure. And these dudes, <laughs> these dudes were like like sex symbols. Like in the way that I'm not saying like obviously people always want to fuck celebrities, but I feel like the way people wanted to fuck celebrities like in the eighties and nineties, like there was just like because everything well, was nobody there wasn't like super accessible porno yet. So people yeah, yeah, were like yeah, losing yeah, their yeah, minds. Yeah. <laughs> and there was like this is also the time that I was like this is a weird thing that happened in entertainment where you can like listen to whatever you want to listen to now and like like you know like i can find niche artists and make that be the only thing i consume right whereas it used to be people would just like there was like you you know you had like a five or six artists who were globally famous at the time right and that's who everybody liked to listen to and you couldn't just be like oh i, I go on youtube and listen to these other guys you know right yeah you unless to like your friend told you about it there was no other yeah, way to learn no about, music. To out about shit or like my my ex uh she had two kids and they had like her daughter the shows that she would watch and I remember I asked, like, oh, do like the other kids in your class watch this show? And she's like, uh, so-and-so does, but nobody else, just me and her. And I was like, oh, that's right. They just watch all what they want to watch yeah. like, on a streaming channel. So this was back then if you were like, yeah, there was like there only enough room in the global attention span for like a dozen people. And these right. were two And these of were the ones everyone people. wanted to fuck. Like yeah. that was their role in this. Dude, they were good looking dudes. It was insane. <laughs> they were beautiful. They were like in perfect shape. Yeah. And like, it was, yeah, it was nuts. <laughs> so yeah, but they were saying like like their thing was like they were they partied a lot and stuff. And, like drugs actually became a big problem later as as it does. But they said just like girls were just their thing. They were just like having all the sex. <laughs> it was just yeah the way that only eighties megastars could. <laughs> so he said we never had a hit before. We went along with it. We played with fire, and now we know. But it's too late. So by December of that year, Pilatus and Morvan came to the realization that their actual voices would never be heard on any Milli Vanilli mm-hmm. tracks. All or Nothing was repackaged as Girl, You Know It's True for audiences in the United States and released in March of 1989. It was a major success, producing five singles that entered the top five, uh, three of which, Baby Don't Forget My Number, Blame It on the Rain, and Girl, I'm Gonna Miss You, went to number one. That's another thing about them that I feel like people that get lost in them being like a joke now. They weren't a one-hit wonder. Yeah, they had three number one hits. They had like half their album were successful singles. Yeah. it it wasn't like a novelty song. No, it was yeah, like no, it wasn't. And people still listen. Hit. It was still like you still hear those songs. Girl, you know it's true. And "Blame It on the Rain" are both like great songs. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. "Blame It on the Rain" kicks ass. Yeah, I remember my dad explaining "Blame It on the Rain" to me when I was a kid, and I, I remember how it came up. But I was just like, "Well, it's saying like you know sometimes when people break up, it's like what are you gonna blame it on? Was it my fault? Was it your fault?" And he's just saying like, "Hey, we can just blame it on the rain," you know. And like when I was like a career military man. Like, <laughs> See, it just speaks, it cuts yeah, yeah. through everything. It speaks to everyone. It's a good song. He's wheeled out from under a tank with like grease on his yeah. face. Like, What's that, Junior? You wonder what Blame It on the Rain means? I'll take a seat. I'll fix this tank later. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, now the duo also, they won, uh, you know, they, they won um, a whole bunch of like American Music Awards. Uh, they won uh, three American Music Awards. But what was their undoing was they actually won best new artist at the 32nd Grammy Awards. Yep. And that was when, because when you win best new artist, like everything is focused on your creative process. You know, like yeah. the, 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 the attention doesn't just become, oh, look, these guys are famous. Supposedly the attention is, look, these guys are talented. 
I have another question. Yes. I don't know if you know this. How was it? How were the songs credited on their album? So, um, on the European versions, it would say vocal performances by Frank Farian, and then like you know, or just like musical performances by like the, you know Frank Farian and these and artists, the session musicians. and it would say additional visual performances by Fabrice, uh, you know, Marvon and Rob. Yeah. Uh, okay. So they were a visual. You know, they were dancing. It was an additional visual, visual performance. Yeah, it was part that, of the project. Yeah, like that missed that uh, marker though got dropped from U.S. releases. Okay. So it was like if you looked at the liner notes, you could figure this shit out. So yeah, like they aren't credited at all on the liner notes in the American no. ones. Yeah, you know, yeah, nobody's okay. like they they they're, they're not like nobody's trying to like lie at that point they're just right. like they're not telling you know the well truth. that's so interesting because like you would think although i guess like the grammys we could probably do an episode on it themselves because they're such a scam but like it's interesting because you would think if they were doing best new artists they would like give it to the people in the liner notes <laughs> like that you that would, would be because of i mean when you think about i don't know how it works with music but like with oscars and stuff like there are all of these guilds and unions involved and it's like okay well you like directing credits have to go to people credited this way and like yeah. editing has to if like only people who are credited this way are eligible for this award like all of this kind yeah, of stuff yeah. and i guess in music it's just like whatever yeah it's milly vanilli <laughs> like. yeah everybody's just too busy dancing and doing blow they're like this didn't notice <laughs> now now we come after the uh the, the the grammy uh win obviously became way more the public guy they started doing more interviews and they said that the groups, the duo's English language skills, when they came to their first interviews on MTV, is to start stirring doubts among those present as to whether or not they had sung on the records. Mm. Now, so this is like kind of like it started out as, as like like kind of like a little in industry, um, you know, rumors, and then it turned into it got confirmed, and I didn't know this happened or where it happened at, but of course we know the famous thing where the the, the track starts skipping. Yep. The fame, yep. Yeah, the girl you know, girl you know. Yep. Yeah, so. And they panic. And, they, and fucking poor Rob just runs off the stage. Like, <laughs> I, like you go back and look at it, and Rob was the uh, the German dude, the more light-skinned dude, and, like, he just, and RIP, he ended up uh, passing away from a drug overdose in 1998. Uh, spoiler alert, sorry. Uh, but he, like, he seemed like kind of like a really just kind soul, and, like, uh, who just like he he seemed a little more like insecure than uh than Fab yeah and so like that's I mean that's why when it started skipping he just got out of there the he hightailed it out of there yeah but I did not know that this happened in Bristol Connecticut at the Lake Compounds theme park which they do a haunted house there. I lived there for three years my mame had a restaurant in Bristol but it's like right next to, like. Connecticut, all the New England towns are just like the same town essentially. Right. <laughs> yeah, but like Bristol is right next there. Lake Compounds was a place that did a yearly Halloween thing called the Haunted Grave, mm-hmm. and I didn't know it was like a haunted house. And so on Halloween, my cousin and his friends were just like, "Oh, we're doing haunted grave tonight. We're going to the haunted grave." And I thought I was going to see some cool local legend called the Haunted <laughs> Grave, and they're like, "Yeah, tickets are fifteen bucks." I was like, "What?" <laughs> so I've been to Lake Compounds where this happened at, and uh, while I was there, I was just disappointed i was just not mad an actual haunted grave mad you weren't seeing a real ghost yeah, i get yeah, it this is ghost god damn it <laughs> also my, we went to a haunted house that my cousin had a um, a little miniature air horn and he went to the very haunted rude. house yeah very, very rude. oh but yeah i love my cousin He's, yeah he was a dick and like this dude just jumped out it was like and he was boo and he firm and the guy was like what the fuck in his, <laughs> his werewolf mask <laughs> god damn it shout out to kitty joe um <laughs> uh, so yeah, so they were at they were at uh, Lake Compounds in Bristol, Connecticut, and as they performed, a hard drive issue caused the recording of the song "Girl, You Know It's True" to jam and skip, 
repeatedly playing the partial line, girl, you know it's through the speaker. It's so weird, too, that this happened to them because I feel like lots of people lip sync their own songs. Yeah, I guess where the difference was with them was that usually those show tapes are still the artist's vocals. Right, yeah. And this was So they can sing. Yeah, they 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 can sing. Yeah, Yeah. and we'll find out that these guys... They have, they're, they're, they're good performers, but they, they, they can't sing like Frankie Farian. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, who among us can? <laughs> that golden-voiced Voice liar. Voice of an angel, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That smooth-sounding, exploitative motherfucker, you know? <laughs> but, uh, so began to skip repeatedly, and uh, Pilatus, when he ran off stage, he said, I knew right then and there it was the beginning of the end for Millie mm, Vanilli. Yeah. He said, when my voice got stuck on the computer and it just kept repeating and repeating, I panicked. I didn't know what to do. I just ran off the stage. Now, downtown Julie Brown, if you remember that, the, the MTV VJ, mm-hmm. she ran after Pilatus and convinced him to finish the set. And he came back out. She said, "I, um, with a bit of pushing and screaming and a couple of F words, I think, as well, I got him back out there. Uh, and despite the mishap, the concert audience seemed to neither care nor even notice. Right. Uh, well, like yeah. I'm saying, it's just like, oh, a lot of people, li- especially if they're doing these like big high energy dance numbers yeah, like that was the same reason that they they, they quoted there the guy was like some producer was like yeah like you can be able to dance and still have their right. fucking breath yeah but what's oh what's crazy is like also um nobody noticed or cared also the way it it, it stopped like it sounded like it was a cut like it was right like, yeah girl, you know girl and like if it just dropped back in he could just wrote it out but that was all it, all it needed because there was a lot of um, reviewers there. Mm. Uh, there was a lot of critics, like uh, your magazine reviewers review the show, and they started talking about it. It caught in the media, and finally, in a, a March 1990 issue of Time, um, like they were just getting a lot of uh, a lot of people calling them out on getting on lip syncing and stuff. And then they went the way of like that a lot of people do, like when the Beatles said they're bigger than Jesus and that whole mess. Um, Pilatus was pro- was proclaiming himself to be the new Elvis. Uh, reasoning that by the duo's success, they were more talented musically than Bob Dylan, Paul <laughs> McCartney, and Mick Jagger. I'd go for broke at that point. Why yeah, not? fuck it, man. Just, yeah, just, yeah. You know the, the ride is coming to an end. Yeah. And, and he's the one who sadly had a drug problem. So, like, yeah. he's probably fucked up. Like, he's just talking out his ass. And yeah. as Fab put it, also, he was like, he didn't really have a full grasp of the English language. Yet. Right. <laughs> yeah, like, you probably were bigger than Bob Dylan in Germany or yeah, whatever. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> So unlike the international release of All or Nothing, uh, the inserts for the American version of the album. Oh, no, I'm sorry. They did explicitly attribute the vocals to Morvan and Pilatus. Okay, okay. So that's so, the problem. Yeah. Is like Because I was thinking, I was like, there's an easy way to solve this if they look at it. But yeah. for the American one, the, they looked at it and it uh, said that they sang. Yeah. I see. And, and so they started this point. And that's when you move into like quasi sort of legality. I yes. Think. And at this point, they weren't doing themselves any favors because he's in magazines talking about how they're more talented than, than right. Elvis. They're doing people really stuff. turned on. Them. Yeah. And people and also the people they were working with who are agreeing to just keep everything secret so they can keep they can move forward. Well, you know, they uh, at this point, people started coming forward like and being like, no, they didn't sing. A th- you know, they didn't sing a note. Right. Like one of the backup singers, Charles Shaw, uh, revealed that he was like he was one of the, th- the three actual vocals, vocals on the album. And that Pilatus and Morvan were imposters. Uh, Farian reportedly paid Shaw one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to retract his statements. Uh, that did, but that did not do it's anything. It's too late. Yeah, yeah. It's too late. Throw, throwing good money after bad at that point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then like they started. Then, uh, as most people met their decline in the nineteen nineties, they entered the world of like late night comedians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And once they get a hold of you, 
those fucking hacks will destroy you. <laughs> they will not let up. That's another thing that I feel like doesn't happen as much anymore because there's not as much of like a super central culture yeah. the way there was. Like, I don't know. I feel like, I mean, I guess like Trump is kind of the closest it's ever gotten since like Clinton. But yeah. I feel like after Monica Lewinsky, like they don't, yeah. the late night comics don't have that thing that's like, the only thing they talk about for like six months. But Millie yeah. Vanilli was absolutely one. That was one of them. Yeah, our, our family was a huge NBC late night family. Like we like, mm-hmm. it was like a cattle call for the house. Jay's on. And then <laughs> at first I loved Conan and my parents hated Conan. And then they came to love Conan too. Mm-hmm. But we were a big NBC house. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so like they, they got caught on there. They got put up on In Living Color, Keenan Ivory Wayne's, Damon Wayne's, that yep. famous In Living Color sketch. That was actually really fucking funny. That's so interesting because like I... Uh, I, did you read a while ago there was an article that came out about Vanilla Ice that was kind of like in a similar vein sort of trying to like contextualize Vanilla Ice and be like this guy like probably shouldn't have been as hated as he was. Oh, word. And uh, one of the things they talk about is Jim Carrey doing Vanilla Ice on a moving color and it yeah. like it like ruined him. Like yeah, it was the, over. The, yeah, once it gets in that like, you can make fun of like Richard Jewell, for example, the fucking Olympic guy. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, like, like I remember I watched every Richard Jewell joke Probably as it <laughs> happened because I watched Jay Leno every night. Like, yeah, and uh, yeah, it was like they, like that was a thing. Yeah, they could they would grind you. Um, yeah, like and they said when Keenan Ivory Wayne's and David Wayne's did the uh, the sketch. Um, Rob or I'm sorry, a Fab was at a bar somewhere or a club or something, and the 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 show was on, but the the volume wasn't, and he mm-hmm. just saw dudes that looked like him, yeah. and he was like, "Hey, what is this, guys? Hey, go ahead and turn on this uh, TV. Oh, Let me no, see these guys who look no. like." Us. That's so sad. And it was them selling hair extensions and shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. So that didn't do very well. And then, uh, and then David Letterman did the like the, he had uh, his top ten list was top ten jobs they could do other than music. And mm-hmm. I, I just watched it earlier. I forget one of them, but one of them actually got me. So I guess I should know. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, that was actually really funny. <laughs> but yeah, that's the other thing. If, if yeah, you were on David Letterman's top ten shit, like yeah, you were. It's over for you. Yeah, this is, it was like a, it was like a machine. It would just grind you down. <laughs> yeah. And. Um, so, uh, because of growing questions as to who sang in the group as well, um, and Morvan and Pilatus' demand of Farian, at this point, they'd be allowed to sing on the next album. Mm-hmm. And that's what started to bug Farian. Because, like, he I was mean, like, like, yes, Farian, like, this guy was exploiting them. Uh, he was, you know, stifling them creatively. But imagine you, like, get the next Millie Vanilli album, and it's two guys who can't sing. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like, and you're just like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's like one of those things like like you can like sit there and be like, Man, we're trying to be inclusive and just give everybody a shot, but it's right. like when you're not a singer, you can't it's like that's like one of the very few things you can be like, oh well, you know, no, it's like if you have a bad voice, there's not a lot of ways around that. Yeah, and like I mean, there's a gradient, like, you know, I can carry a tune or whatever, but like nobody's gonna pay to hear yeah. me sing. Yeah, I'm not like, a pop singer, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> like I can yeah, I'm yeah. sure I'm sure Rob and Fab were like fun at karaoke, but like yeah, that doesn't yeah, mean you yeah, should yeah, yeah. Doesn't mean you get to cut an album. <laughs> yeah, and also like you have like, like Farian who like is my, from like like a lot of uh, like oh sorry, <laughs> but a, a lot of uh, what like I've heard people say about him like like mainly they're German, but they always go he was a genius. And yeah. it sounds like he was a pop genius. Like he knew exactly kind of what like the public wanted to hear. So you can imagine like trying to tell him like, hey, like take all of your musical sensibilities developed over your career and put it in the back seat and just you know. Come on, let us sing on the album, and him just being like, "No, I'm not, I'm not going to do that, man." Like, right? It's, I, I can see where the guy's coming from, but yeah. So he said, uh, uh, that, "So because they started pressuring him, uh, finally, like he 
you know, did a uh, he did an article with uh, the New- the Los Angeles Times. This is a uh, Farian, and it was called "It's True." Milli Vanilli don't uh, didn't sing. Read mm-hmm. the headline. And so finally, Polina said, like, you know, hey, the last two years of our lives have been a total nightmare. We've had a lie to everybody. We are true singers. But that maniac, Frank Ferry, would never allow us to express ourselves. That wow. maniac who said my voice wasn't good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting. Like, this, the really the main reason this fell apart is just because of discord within the group. Like, yeah. if they had, if he had picked fronts that were willing to do this, they probably could have gotten away with it. Yeah, or just like, yeah, let them know up front. Like, hey, look, guys, like. You're you not going to be singing. You're not going to be, be singing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it always reminds me, I, I want to hear this one day, but I, you remember the, the movie Hustle and Flow? Mm-hmm. Um, I was reading, like, uh, that's why I, I used to read the source in XXL, like, every month. And they interviewed uh, Terrence Howard, and he said that he wrote a rap uh, that he wanted to spit as DJ in mm-hmm. the thing. And, <laughs> and they said, said no. That, yeah, and he said the producer <laughs> said no because it had too much of an East Coast vibe, and he was a Southern rapper. <laughs> Which means that it definitely was just sounded like, yo, bro, I'm out here doing my thing. What's my thing? It, was just, it had to be horribly offbeat. It definitely <laughs> just wasn't good. And they had to come up with a reason yeah, yeah. why they couldn't. Oh, no, it's, not, it's too lyrical, actually. Right, <laughs> yeah, no. You just got too many bars, Terrence. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, so he said, uh, you know, the next week, so after Farian dropped that, uh, dropped that article, um, at that point, the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences revoked Millie Vanilli's 1990 Grammy for Best New Artist. Uh, Palladis and Morvan gave a press conference for more than 100 journalists in Los Angeles where they stated their willingness to return their Grammy Award. The duo said they had made a deal with the devil, and they sang and rapped for the room in order to prove that, although they hadn't sung on the records, they could, in fact, sing. That had to be a cringe so fest. So awkward. So awkward. As a guy who has rapped for people who don't want to hear anyone rap, <laughs> like, that's got to be, especially rapping from like your back foot as it is. To be like, no, no, I'm actually good at it. Shut up. Listen. All right. right. Yeah, that yeah. is not the energy yeah. with which to go into a rap. Throw me a word. Couch. Slouch. Revouch. You know, like... <laughs> Yeah, that's that is a bad energy yeah, to bring no, yeah, to a yeah, freestyle. Just, just, at that point, just I leave, am man. good at it. I yeah. swear. Like, oh god, I just fell off, dog. I was thinking about something else. <laughs> uh, I just this beat sucks. Turn to a different beat. <laughs> <laughs> so, after these details emerged, lawsuits were filed under various U.S. consumer fraud protection laws. Also, the the American public really acted like some hoes in this whole thing. I'll yeah. have to put them on blast. They acted like they had never been lied to by the recording industry before. <laughs> they were yeah. like, oh, what? It was it was, it was, was a little, a bit of an overreaction. They had like, where radio stations were like, we're running over Milli Vanilli records with a yeah. fucking steamroller today. Come on out. And it was like a real thing. They had their, their records steamrolled in the streets. It's so weird when you think back on how, like, yeah, people really acted like it was a huge, yeah, like it was like, awful scandal, and yeah. it's like, I mean, yeah, kind of, but like you said, like this was just kind of how it was done in dance music. Like, it's really yeah. not that big of a deal. Yeah, and the entertainment industry in general has been lying to us for years. That's like, the whole point. It's yeah. a trick. Like, yeah, that's yeah. the <laughs> that's the entire thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard. It's hard not to consider the sort of racial element of it of like, course of course and i i mean because even if you think about like the the bias toward disco and dance music in general like which before they were running over milli vanilli records they were burning, burning disco records. burning disco records and it's because it was black music and gay music i did not even think about that component to it just talk about what you don't think about when i was a kid 
I grew up listening to like most. I thought it was like a lot, a lot of white kids grew up listening to rock and then discover hip hop. Yeah, this was like where I grew up around and what was popular. Like I grew up listening to rap. I had to like discover rock music. Yeah, and I definitely like went hard into it when I first got it. I was just like I remember being like. Yeah, like I didn't like anything radio rap wise, and I was just like, "Oh, it's all just like commercial bullshit." I had this right. little shitty kid attitude, and I remember I found out that like that like rock DJs in the seventies had like set disco records on fire, and I just thought that was cool as hell. I was like, "Yeah, oh, that's, that's so dope." Yeah, they're like, "Oh, this <laughs> fuck all this overproduced bullshit." Like I thought that was like that it was just like musical purists marched on a right. stadium and like stuck up for like you know rock and roll, w- yeah, baby. rock and roll, and like and then like I I learned details about it as I got older. It was like. Oh no! And it, it turned into a little mini race riot. Like they were like, right. and race, right, race riot isn't even the word. They literally just kind of started kicking the shit out of anybody that wasn't a straight white guy at the stadium that day. Right? And yeah, it's very complicated, and it is funny because it's like I absolutely thought that when I was a kid. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, and that's then, how like, it sold to you, right? And like I was really into punk, and like punk was really popular when when that was going on. But it is. It's like they were burning the uh, the records that then got sampled on all the rap you like what they were burning and it is yeah it's it's a i don't know i mean you just think about how pissed off people got at milli vanilli again like coded black kind of coded a little gay or like yeah. a little fruity um yeah. european men in the yeah, 90s yeah, was yeah. like basically a euphemism like yep. it's basically a slur so <laughs> European was a slur at the time. It kind of was, yeah. like for like, men. Becky, you can't just call a guy European. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so true though. <laughs> yeah, so I like you know I I was like two years old when this is happening, so I don't know this for a fact, but it seems like it kind of has similar overtones. Yeah, like, well, I really I lived in Europe in, like, at this time. I lived in, we lived from yeah. eighty eight to ninety one, and I remember like and then we moved back in ninety five to ninety eight, and like but I remember like that was the main thing. Like like we'd always get into fights with like the German boys and shit and the little mm-hmm. German kids. And the whole thing was like because they listened to like yeah you know, they listened to music like this or they right. wore, they wore speedos instead of trunks and we were right. just like oh they're all so gay <laughs> like look at all these <laughs> this gay entire ass country kids. is gay yeah meanwhile they were like in better shape than us they like right. <laughs> like one, one time I remember we always played we played like American football on the they call them the concern it's a German word for like essentially like plot mm-hmm. and it was like American military concern it's like a base mm-hmm. so we'd always play football on the concern it'd be like American football. And then one day we got into like soccer for some reason. Like it was, it was summertime. We would make like tournament tables and all the kids would come outside and we'd play like games of like two on two, two on three, three on three football. Mm-hmm. Well, one day we decided we were going to play soccer. And I don't know, like it was like our obsession for like a week. And right. none of us were that good at it, but we just knew there was a goal. And like, you know, I think like that soccer movie, The Big Green or whatever was out at the time. Mm-hmm. So we were just into it. And these two German kids just walked by and saw us like playing and they were like, can we play with you? We were like, yeah, come on lit us up all of us <laughs> it wasn't even you. fair yeah it, it was like we it was like we didn't have legs we were yeah. just like, <laughs> and they were like and these kids were only like probably like sixth or seventh grade and they were just like smoking like 10th graders and yeah. shit yeah like they're way more and so yeah we just like so our thing was like they're all just like they're all gay oh, they're all gay but they were like in, like i said much better shape than us far more talented athletes right <laughs> so funny yeah just, just happened to be more stylish than us and we hated it mm-hmm so, Everyone did back then. All Americans did. It was yeah, so yeah, yeah. Did not like it. <laughs> but it was kind of, it was at the time though, it was like America was like the exporter of cool. So it was kind of like, you felt like you had right. this global, like yay or nay what was cool. And it is funny to watch us relinquishing that now. Yeah. Because we're not putting, I mean, obviously America still puts out the bulk of like the music everybody listens to, but biggest band in the world right now is probably BTS. Yeah. And that's not us. You know what I'm saying? Like, Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Like the cinema that's on the rise, also South Korea. South Korea, I feel, is replacing us as the cultural <laughs> output right now. And it just is what it is. But it's just funny to watch that. 
Like, right, we're like, losing our relevance. Yeah, and it was like it was almost like, like like the eighties and nineties were our death rattle. You know? Right, <laughs> Millie Vanilli came for us. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they came for the Millie, and I said nothing. <laughs> they came for the Vanilli, I still said nothing. <laughs> so at this point, they decided that they were, and they thought they were going to get besieged by like tons of like multi-million dollar record contracts and offers because they were just like oh like obviously we're a hot ticket right and it just didn't turns out come. their rapping press conference did not <laughs> do yeah, what yeah, they yeah, hoped yeah. like when uh when uh machine gun kelly danced on the table if you like when machine gun kelly danced on the table during his uh his pitch to like our records or uh, i don't know uh, this story oh he like when he put out his pop punk album a couple years ago he met with like all the executives and they were filming it and he jumped up to like like perform the song and he ended up like dancing around on the table <laughs> and it was just the most disinterested people <laughs> just like oh, watching no. this kid like just like dancing and not even paying attention to him <laughs> so um eventually they, they, they struck it on their own uh they did release an album in early 1991 called the moment of truth uh that spawned three singles um no so now this is billy vanilli that did this yeah and they they engaged like billy vanilli minus rob and and fab and they actually enlisted lookalikes named Ray Horton and uh, what's the other guy's name? Oh, Brad Howell and John Davis. They were like lookalikes. Wow. Who just danced for, yeah. Uh, those so d- they like they kept going with the same principle. So like, yeah. it that's again like th- they were mad at Rob and Fab. They weren't mad at the people who actually like did this. Yeah, yeah. Like they let them Fab. keep doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They kept on going. Then they got like like fake ones. It was like the fake uh, the fake Razor uh, Razor Ramon and Diesel. Yeah, yeah. Scott the fake Scott Hall and Kevin Ash, whatever. So now Rob and Fab themselves, uh, they tried to embark on a solo career. Uh, they moved to Los Angeles. They signed with the Joss Entertainment Group. Uh, they recorded the album Fab and Rob, Rob and Fab rather. That was financed by Taj Records and released by Joss Entertainment in 93. Almost all of the songs were written by Kenny Taylor and Fab Morvan, uh, while Morvan and Palatis provided the lead vocals. Um, due to financial constraints, Joss Entertainment Group was only able to release the album in the United States, not in Europe, where they probably would have sold mm, more. Yeah. And uh, it just didn't do, didn't do very well. It only sold 2,000 copies. Oof. Yeah. Rough. They got one deal. They did a Carefree Gum commercial. Remember Carefree Gum from mm-hmm. the 90s? Uh, they did one. It was like... Uh, how long will the flavor last in uh, uh, in Carefree Gum? Probably as long as, or for as long as uh, Millie Vanilli won't record their own vocals. Aww. And they were in that, yeah, and it was like them, and they were singing, I think it was like Pavarotti was playing, and they were just like lip syncing to Pavarotti. <laughs> yeah, they tried. See, we're in on it. It's fine. Yeah, 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 sad. yeah, yeah. It did not work. <laughs> um, now, also, they made a, they did have a comeback, uh, or attempted to come back in 1997 uh, to restore the careers, Farian. Um, agreed to produce a new Billy Vanilli album. Okay. So, now, they they were going to reunite. Yeah. Farian didn't, like, abandon them personally, it seems like. It seems like he maintained a personal relationship with them uh, because he, he agreed to do that. And it led to the uh, the 1998 Millie Vanilli comeback album, Back and In Attack. Some of the original studio singers even backed the duo in their attempt to recover some of their fame that had been lost so quickly. However... Rob Palatis encountered a number of problems during the album's production. Album's production, he turned to drugs and crime. He committed a series of assaults and robberies. Aww. Yeah, just fucking sad. Just getting robbed. You're like, is that the guy? From <laughs> Am I getting robbed by the guy from Millie Vanilli? No, you are not getting robbed by the guy from Millie Vanilli. I know you. Okay, I am getting robbed by yeah, the guy from exactly. Millie Vanilli. If your name is Rob, which I think is kind of weird, does anybody else think that's weird? Uh, 
So he's like, are you guys from Billy Vanilli? He's like, girl, you know it. And he's <laughs> up. So uh, he actually did six months in a drug rehab center on one of the uh, assaults. Uh, he got arrested and Ferry and bailed him out of jail. Uh, so on the eve of the new album's promotional tour, though, April 2nd, 1998, Pilatus was found dead of a suspected alcohol and prescription drug overdose in a hotel room in Frankfurt, Germany. Mm. Um, Fab Morvan has gone on to have a solo career. Obviously, he's not like, you know, the, the household name that he once was. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he was, he's been he's done DJ gigs. Uh, he's done. I'd go like, watch the guy from Millie Vanilli DJ, I think. I yeah, do that. He, he, I saw a live performance of him. I was, I was just like kind of. Before a um, uh, an episode, I'll just kind of soak myself. Sure. And like videos and stuff. And I watched a couple of his, and like he knows how to work a crowd. Like, you know, he's still a, a charming and engaging dude. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely misses his friend Fab, yeah. or this is his friend Rob, I'm sorry. R.I.P. Rob. Yeah, but uh, as of right now, I mean, in April 2011, uh, Morvan released the single Anytime on iTunes. And he uh, appeared in a documentary style KFC commercial and focused on his life and music career after Millie Vanilli. Okay. So uh, yeah, that's kind of get that money, Rob. <laughs> yeah, do your thing. Or that's kind of where it falls back. off. Um, they still have like like worldwide fans. People still love their music. Um, it's not you're, if you want to go find and see what Fab is up to. He still gets interviewed on a ton of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like outlets always want to speak with them. So he's still out there doing his thing. Misses his friend. Uh, definitely wishes things went different. But it seems like is living for the most part a very happy and well-adjusted life. That's good. What's hap- what happened with Therian? Uh, Farian is still doing his thing. He's still as producing far as I know. Yeah, he's and... still producing music. I mean, he did one solo album, no, one solo performance, and it was actually a cover of, what did he do? Basically, he did a cover of somebody else's song as his first song that featured him singing the song, and everybody was kind of like, that's a little weird. That is weird. But as the host of the European show who was interviewing him was like, but I guess that is really what makes Frank Farian a genius. I was like, is it? <laughs> is, is that a genius move? I don't know. I mean, I know, that, I know that's your guy, but come on. I just looked him up, Frank Farian, because yeah. I wanted to know like just how ugly we're talking. And uh, he he kind of looks like Donald Trump. Like I do see, he looks like Donald Trump and Paul McCartney. Yeah, yeah, combined. Yeah. Um, <laughs> definitely the Millie Vanilla. Robin Fab are way hunkier. Yeah, I get, yeah, yeah. I get why he made this decision. <laughs> They have he, great bone structure. I get it. He does it. remind me of like uh, like uh, Lou Pearlman if Lou Pearlman could sing. Yeah, yeah. yeah if Lou like Pearlman had at, like any actual talent. Yeah, he's good at putting the stuff together, you know? Like like he knows what he's doing. But he had like a pretty storied career. Like he fucking worked with like Meatloaf and uh, he did other stuff. And I don't know. He currently lives in Miami. So okay. uh, look Sounds him up. about right. Look him up. Hang outside outside of his house. <laughs> but yeah, uh, worth it. Let's see. If you're a Farian... Yeah, totally worth Absolutely it. Absolutely worth it. It feels like even if you're Rob and Fab, it was worth it. It was up to I mean, them. not if you're Rob. Not if you're <laughs> it's Rob. not worth it if you're <laughs> Rob. <laughs> get it, to get addicted to drugs and die, yeah, probably not well, worth it. And I, I wonder, but I do wonder if that kind of like spawned their, like strengthened their relationship. Because it sounds like when, when they were found out, they were like really pissed at Frank Farian, it sounds yeah. like. And then it sounds like they kind of got over it. Like they yeah. got back together and I'm sure Farian like feels a little bit of responsibility for like this guy's death. I mean, yeah, he doesn't seem he doesn't seem heartless. The vibe I get talking to him, yeah, he seem, you know, he doesn't seem any like less detached than like any other European record producer. <laughs> sure, <know>? yeah. <laughs> Somebody pointed out the other day. I can't remember what I was watching, but they were they pointed out that like record 
producers in movies are like Satan. Like yeah, when you yeah, watch yeah. a movie and like a guy is signing a contract with a record producer, it's yeah. like the most villainous person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a cigar smoking casing his head. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, sign right there. Exactly. Yeah. It's like literally the devil. <laughs> <laughs> I was working with somebody one time and um, uh, a, how do I put this in uh, vague enough terms? Basically, there was debate as to whether or not um, a hotel room that was supposed to be ready for the performers was uh was was not it, it was if it was not ready if that was the fault of the um the hotel or the uh the producer or like the, the guy producing the show and it forced the comic i was working to to ask um well i don't know who's lying to me the guys that own the bed and breakfast uh in wyoming or the long island comedy show producer <laughs> right 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 let's let's occam's razor this yeah. here <laughs> yeah all right, man, but that's, uh, yeah, that, that is the, the story of Frank Farian and Millie Vanilli. Um, yeah, go fun. listen. I think I think the moral of the story is, like, go listen to some Millie Vanilli. Like, yeah, they were see, fun. Go, come f- with, with fresh ears, you know? Like, yeah, go, yeah, yeah, go back and listen. Give it's, them a chance. See if it would have been a, as fun if they weren't dancing around, bumping chests. <laughs> God, they had so much fun, though. That little, like, the B-roll they show, like, in every, like, behind the music where it's, like, when things were going good. Uh-huh. Those dudes it were just good. having a blast. And, like, every, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It, it, it seemed like they weren't hurting anybody, man. They're having fun. So, you know, more power to them. But, uh, yeah, guys, that's the episode. Thanks for tuning in. Um, we got a lot of new listeners recently, so thank you very much. We're going to one a week now. Yeah. Two on, uh, two on the Patreon, two on the free feed. So you can check out our Patreon. That's at patreon.com slash lie, cheat, and steal. Uh, we're on there for like two episodes. We're going to have two right here on wherever it is you listen to podcasts. So you can find me. I'm online on Twitter at, at PZTX. And the podcast is at LCS Podcast. And uh, things are opening back up. I'm actually touring again. I just got back off tour, but I'll be going back in like another month or two. So check for me, man. I'm, I might be popping up in your city. And shout out to everybody that came out. Uh, we had people come out in Wisconsin and in Arkansas. And it was really cool. So it was really good to meet you guys. Uh, so after that, Kath, you got anything coming up? Um, I'm not sure, but yeah, things are starting to open back up again. Um, I'm in Austin cause I'm, I'm fully vaxxed now. So I'm, uh, starting to do more shows. So, uh, follow me at Kath Barbadoro on Twitter. Um, I'm sure I'll have some, some bookings coming up. You can come to, um, my other podcast is called what a time to be alive. It's about dumb news stories. Um, we are nine patrons away, I believe from our Patreon goal with that, which when we hit it, we all have to do what something called the death nut challenge. Do you know what this is? <laughs> no. We have to eat like, it's like a series of spicy nuts. And it's like, it gets like <laughs> spicier and spicier until we have to eat the death nut, which has been like sprayed with like pure capsaicin powder. Oh, We're going to die. So if you're interested in that, uh, <laughs> sign up for our Patreon. Dude. Sometimes I think of the word capsaicin and my eyes sting. Like, <laughs> yeah. God damn. Our producer was like, you have to get gloves to do this. Yeah. You get, I were like, Jesus Christ, what are you making us do? Anyway, yeah. So check that out. Um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we will see you next week. Yeah, guys. Tune in. Bye. And uh, don't get caught. Don't get caught. See you next time. Bye.